Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page. Good morning, possums. So, <laughs> how's that for a starting line for this morning's Triple R show? I think we're going to dedicate the show to Barry Humphreys or Dame Edna Everidge. And I think she would have made a great nurse. Do you think so? Yeah. Yeah, a, I think so. A funny nurse. A very funny nurse. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the studio for radiotherapy this morning, we have Dr. KitKat. Yes, formally misunderstood, doctor misunderstood, but we've narrowed it down, Dr. Kit Kat, bit punchier. Bit punchier and bit yummier. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and me, Nurse EpiPen and Tim on drums. And then we've got two esteemed guests, uh, Dr. Joe Rayner and Janine Roney. So a shout out to all the infectious diseases team at the Alfred because uh, Janine is from the Alfred and she's got a big team listening in this morning. So this show, we're talking about nursing. And um, so we might start with, we're going to do the catch-up first? Yeah, let's yeah. do the catch-up. So let's do the catch-up and then we'll talk all about nursing. Thanks, Abby Penn. Um, so this, in pre- pre- preparation for this show, um, one of our guests, Dr Joe, who we'll hear more about um, re- shortly, Um, is interested in aged care. And I found a news piece, um, a bit of a breakthrough for Alzheimer's disease. So many people who eventually develop Alzheimer's disease have difficulty sleeping before they experience cognitive decline. And sleep problems may contribute to the worsening of brain health. Um, And Alzheimer's disease is is associated with brain changes that impact sleep. So we're painting a bit of a vicious cycle there. Um, And recent research from Washington University has found that in an initial proof of concept study that taking a sleeping tablet that's already approved and on the market can reduce proteins related to the development of Alzheimer's. Um, When I read this line, I was very excited. I read more, but this was a very, very small study. Um, In fact, it was only done over two nights and with 38 healthy adults between 45 to 65 years old who didn't report cognitive issues. So during the trial, or sorry, at the end of the trial, those who took the highest dose of the medication had most significantly low amyloid levels. Um, And so in Alzheimer's, amyloids contribute to the development of cognitive decline and memory issues. And the relationship is a bit more complex than that, but that's as far as my brain would allow (laughs) me to understand. Um, So it is an exciting development, but it's very, very much in its early stages and long-term and larger studies are needed, so we don't want to get too excited yet, but um, I think that seems like a very hopeful step towards um, addressing this disease, and I guess it's more of a preventative um, measure, which I'm, yeah, I remember learning about it in psychology school, and it's a pretty um, heartbreaking disease, from my understanding. Mm, absolutely. Uh, Dr Joe, do you have any comments about Alzheimer's? Um, just that I sleep for eight or nine hours a day. Yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> uh, well, we know um, sleep disturbance is very common um, in people who have dementia. Um, yeah. That's actually only one form of dementia, Alzheimer's. But, yeah, it's an issue. Um, but, it, look, it's very small sample size. And, um, as you say, more, st- more research is needed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So when we hear from Jo about aged care and elderly people, yes, that will be something that she might also flesh out a bit more yes. for us. Yes. All right. So that's very interesting. Yeah. I hope I don't get Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, I'm asleep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, I'm, I've actually been very much looking forward to this show, Epi, because we are talking all things nurses. And in preparation for the show, and as regular listeners might know, we now do a bit of a quiz segment. Uh-oh. And all panel members are invited to partake in this quiz, and all questions are to do with nursing. So this may... Um, I'm glad I'm not partaking in this quiz because I don't have a history of nursing. So um, hopefully we'll get three out of three... Everyone, a question for everyone, if you will. So just pop your hand up um, when you think you might know the answer. The first one I feel like might be easing everyone in. Who established the first modern school of nursing? Dr Joe, hand up first. Ooh, Florence Nightingale. Correct. For a bonus point, in what year? Oh, um, I know it was... 18. Was it after the Crimea War? So or during the Crimea War? I don't know, no. 1847. 1849. <laughs> it was 1860. Yeah. Oh, very, very close. close. <laughs> yeah. So how far on average do nurses walk over a 12-hour shift? Oh, oh. On the wards. Oh, well, yes, yes, Janine? So I would say probably six to eight kilometres. Bang on. Yeah. That's oh. the exact... Um, Numbers I've got listed there, well done. So that's almost double other professions, mm. most other professions, in mm. fact. They need good shoes. Yes. Yes, supportive. Um, and finally, approximately what percentage do men make up the population of nursing in Australia? <sighs> Great question. Ooh, Janine's mm. up again. I'd say 10 to 15%. I'm, I'm going 20. I would say less than that. I'd say 5 to 10. Oh. Janine again. Oh, oh, yeah. So it's 11%, 11% and your range captures that. Nice. Um, also in my research to find some questions, I thought these were two great fun facts um, and perhaps not surprising for some people, but in 2020 nursing was rated the most ethical job in Australia and that's happened very consistently. I think in one time it was 15 years nursing was rated the most ethical job within Australia. And the word nurse comes from the Latin word nutrix, which means to nourish. Mm. Love but, it. And I think in the, if you look up the history of nursing, it it's, wasn't really Florence Nightingale that started it. It's been decades and yes. nursing um, sick people in the Roman Empire. Yes. But I don't know where if the word... Some, I haven't looked up the history of the word nurse, but yeah. it's mm. nursing per se has been for a very long... Yeah. Time and also female predominated. Yes, BC, there's strong links to the Catholic Church and sisters and nuns. Um, so I'm excited to get into the show today. We'll be talking to Dr. Joe first, but before we get into that, we'll be back after these few announcements. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, Head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Uh, first up, we're talking to Dr. Joe Rayner, PhD. And Joe's been an academic for 20 years after working clinically as a registered nurse for many years. Um, she's a senior research fellow at the Australian Centre for Evidence Based Aged Care at La Trobe Uni. 
And after being awarded an NHMRC PhD scholarship in 2005, she successfully completed her PhD in 2008. Would like to pause here and acknowledge that's three years, so very good timing there, Dr Jo. I'm very impressed. And obtained a position as a team investigator on NHRMC capacity building grant from 2008 to 11. And since starting at the Australian Centre for Evidence-Based Aged Care in 2013, she's led or collaborated in research related to the care of older people and education needs of the aged care workforce, particularly nurses that is of national and international significance. So we're delighted to have our very own Australian Florence Nightingale, if you will, in the room, an educator of nurses. Dr Jo, welcome to our humble show. Oh, thanks, Cash. Look, I'm actually not an educator oh. of nurses. Um, I actually just do... Res- I'm a research-only academic. Oh. I was briefly in the School of Nursing uh, yes. in, um, as the undergraduate course coordinator, but I, I don't have the skills required <laughs> to teach um, and I do love research. So yeah. I mainly do research into care of older people, yep. as you said, with a particular interest in workforce. Interesting. So I've got a question. So how many, you've done research for a very long time. What was yes. your first research project, Jo? My first research project was um, the Tall Girl Study, um, which I was a research officer with EpiPen <laughs> um, at what was then called the Centre for the Study of Mothers and Children's Health at La Trobe University. And we were involved in tracing um, women who had been treated as um, girls or assessed as girls for tall t- stature. So that was a treatment um, available in Australia for, for girls. So that was a great study. And that actually led on to my PhD. Mm. Mm. Yeah, actually, Jo, I was wondering if you could take us back a little bit. So we've, um, we know that you worked as a nurse clinically, so I, I imagine in a hospital perhaps, and then transitioned into academia. Yeah, I worked um, as a general nurse and then I did plastic surgery nursing, wow. which I did for 15 years. Um, but then I got very interested in women's health and went back to university, did an undergraduate degree in nursing, um, a grad dip in women's health, a master's in women's health, and eventually my PhD, uh, which was looking at uh, depression outcomes in the tall girl study. So it really shows what nurses can do, I think. Um, and all through my career as an academic, my nursing has actually been really important. Certainly now, working in aged care research, if I'm going into a, a residential aged care service, a nursing home, I can actually understand uh, the work that nurses do, the challenges that they face. And to a certain extent, um, that gives me a bit of an in with staff. Um, there's a bit of trust and confidence, but also I can understand the complexities of this um, population cohort. The older people, especially, or 70% of people in aged care have dementia. Um, And I'm particularly interested in trying to get more nurses interested in caring for older people. Uh, It's not only in aged care services, but more generally, um, older people make up about 65% of all uh, people that um, require medical care in any care setting. So it's not as though you're going to go only look after old people in residential aged care. You're going to be looking after old people in community health, in acute care settings, 
at every setting other than paediatrics and midwifery. So um, we did a big survey a few years ago looking at content on care of older people in Mm -hmm. Australian curriculum, the first national survey that's ever been undertaken. And we found that very little content is available. It's very difficult for nurse educators. They only have three years to educate nurses. There's a lot of content required. Mm -hmm. But this, this is really missing and that survey was auspiced by the Australian Heart Consortium on Gerontological Nursing Excellence, uh, which is a group of um, great gerontological nurse academics or women who are really um, trying to push more content. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm curious, you mentioned um, trying to get more nurses into that field. What are, I guess, is that currently a lower, compared to other nursing fields, lower Um, interest area and what are some of the barriers to getting apart from perhaps lack of awareness? Well this is not only a national problem this is an Mm. international problem and um, nurses um, and I was probably the same you go into nursing very idealistic keen to change the world but um, and it's probably a bit different now because of social media but young nurses nursing students go in now what do they know about nurses if they don't have a member of a family as a nurse or they haven't done any work experience all they have is social media and television yeah movies yeah so they all want to be you know like it is in scrubs or Grey's Anatomy yeah that's right and of course once they get in the reality is that it's actually not like that they're going to be looking after people generally who are going to be older 65 plus um, and I think there's this big culture shock. And, of course, uh, what happens is we also know younger people have ageist views. So mm-hmm. there's a bit of a double whammy yeah. here. And on top of that, there's a lot of nurse academics, or some nurse academics, that have a very old view of what care of older people is. And um, so there's this sort of three layers of the students' own ageists. Mm. You know, they're not exposed to older Mm. people or they're only exposed to sick older people, not well older people. Um, The curriculum then is acute care focused. The only exposure they may have to older people is in their first year when they uh, have a clinical placement in a residential aged care service where they're not supervised by a registered nurse and they're exposed to people with complex health conditions related to dementia, chronic illness, they don't know how to communicate with them. And then there's this other whammy, you know, of um, some academics having ageist views too. Sure. Thanks. So, Jo, what would you... Like, like you know, in the in your crystal ball, what would you like to see in the future? What sort of things need to be put in place, government wise, institution wise, you know, academic wise? Um, look, it's really difficult. I would have liked a four year degree. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that we certainly know there was um, uh, an exploration or a, a report into the future of the nursing workforce a couple of years ago. And they are giving student... Well, there's a recommendation for student nurses to have more clinical placement. They currently only have 800 hours across the three years. That's not really very long. Mm. And so the recommendation was to go to 1,000 hours. Um, but universities um, and nurse academics, they're really struggling to get all the content that nurses need to know in that three years. Yeah. They're really only one mandated subject, and that's related to the care of First Nations people. 
Um, uh, and then there's a whole lot of areas like mental health. There's push from people who like specialties like paediatrics and that. It's a real challenge. I, I, I think we need more expert nurses with gerontological skills in leadership roles in academia. That would be my wish. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really interesting because um, I guess managing universities, um, courses and then fees and the time taken to do finish your study and do your study. You mentioned, I guess, kind of specialising. Does nursing, can you do a general nursing degree and then are there masters and future um, courses you can take to specialise? Yes, there is. And you can do things like uh, mental health nursing sure. or theatre. Um, Janine, you mm. probably know more a bit now about specialisation. Yes. Well, I was, uh, I was thinking that, so for um, anybody involved in clinical research where I sit, you all have to um, have uh, done a certain level of you know, training or certification, and that's called um, good clinical research practice, and that's across the board. You know, so if you're involved in it, you need to do this sort of qualification. It's, you know, it's only a, a module you know, extra education can be added to it. And I'm wondering whether if that was in, you know, like gerontology or in aged care, that to be able to look after the, you know, a certain population, whether you'd need to do that. Well, certainly at my own university in the School of Nursing, they have a um, uh, an elective in second year for nurses, mm. which is on uh, care of people with dementia. It's the most popular elective. Wow. So wow. students yeah. are recognising that great. this is an area of great need. Um, I would like more across the yes. whole curriculum um, because it is only elec an elective. Um, but as I said, it's very difficult for nurse academics. Yep. Um, uh, Janine, do you know if they're in the general nurse training there's a research component where they teach research? Yes, they do, yeah, and um, ethical standards, so, yeah. That's good. Yeah, so that is good, yeah. But yeah. it's all post... post when, I, I definitely agree with Joe. When you come out, you are very idealistic, you know, you know, and so there's... It's quite confronting when you go on to the ward service, um, and I feel that once you've got that sort of general sort of background then to go and do even just some additional training and really it should be the industry that supports it. You know, um, mm. people like Bolton Clark, I know that their staff members do additional training and I think that's so, really important. So, um, Janine, what's Bolton Clark? Oh, <laughs> so Bolton Clark is what we would have known as the old district nursing service and uh, it was um, initially was the RL, RSL service in Queensland um, amalgamated with the district nursing service down here in Victoria. So they... Um, yeah, so they're now called Bolton Clark. You have to excuse me, I can't remember which one's Bolton, the RSL, <laughs> and which one's Clark, uh, the, the nurse. But, uh, yeah, so they do a lot of um, home care and community and they have aged care facilities. And, yeah. yeah, they have a great sort of training sessions for their staff, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I think nurses do... Um, want to specialise, the thing is to get them introduced yeah. to care of older people early on because yep. that's it's during their training that this bias is set up. Yep. So they have this experience in residential aged care where they think all older people are sick and have dementia mm. and yet overseas studies show that if you actually send students out into the community where they're working with well older people, they actually lose those ageist views yeah. and they're more likely to consider working yep. in, in that career. And, and I think that's where some of the ABC television shows have shown the grandchildren coming or young people oh, coming yeah. in and playing with older people and they it's just a win-win. The kids have fun, the, elder, the people that are older have fun. 
I just think that's a great way to promote it. And also have some exposure to, of older people on the television. Yes. You know, yes. They're not yes. sort of ghettoed. Yes. Yep. And yeah. not only your grandparents, because that's probably where you date <laughs> and if they're alive. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say, Joe, um, what do you think about the nurse practitioner role out in the community to maintain, you know, people who've already got a health condition, but also we're all very pro-health promotion? Look... I would really support it. I don't think we have enough nurse practitioners. Uh, Undertaking that higher degree is uh, very financially difficult for a lot Mm. of people. They need to be sponsored. I have had experience working uh, of um, uh, knowing a nurse practitioner who worked in residential aged care, and that was a great resource for that particular uh, regional community. Um, Less than a third of of GPs will actually provide medical services in residential aged care services. Now, for a lot of reasons, including there's very limited financial reward for them and it's very challenging. So nurse practitioners can really absolutely fill this gap and I would really encourage more. Mm, I I think that's one of the most exciting things for nurses. Um, So they pretty much run ED departments now. So I fell off my bike and hurt my knee. I didn't see a doctor. And I got x-rays and I got the best treatment. My husband recently chopped the top of his thumb off. Didn't see a doctor. (laughs) They sorted it. um, The nurses sorted it all out. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And I know we've had one of the Royal Children's Hospital um, nurse practitioners on who heads up the um, MVEC, which is the Melbourne Vaccine Education Centre, that, that they give vaccines, they can see kids, they prescribe. There's some prescribing rights. And especially I think this is fabulous for rural um, areas where they can take the burden off the GP. Oh, we just need more nurse practitioners for oh, stuff. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, Doctor, I have a bit of a some questions around, I guess, the news and what I've been seeing in the news and maybe a lot of other people have been seeing in the news and might have started with the Royal Commission into Aged Care. I think was it 2018 or 19? 19. 19. And I think there were 143 recommendations. And perhaps over the um, last few years, aged care hasn't been getting a lot of good press in the news and a lot of investigations into that. And I know, um, well, yeah, you didn't mention... I guess, that in perhaps a barrier of people going into aged care or I guess are you seeing the recommendations from the Royal Commission implemented? Is that a space that you're familiar with? Are you seeing changes? There's a lot of recommendations. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which is great. Um, uh, We tabled um, two reports with the Royal Commission, ASAPAC reports. They were tabled as evidence by the State Government. Um, Look, I think the recommendations are well needed. Uh, They're well overdue. I think prior to the Royal Commission, there was something like 15 uh, reports and investigations into aged care over just a decade. Um, A lot of the recommendations um, are going to be very difficult uh, because they require cultural change and also a lot more money. (laughs) So I'm very supportive of the uh, inclusion of a nurse um, in a residential aged care 24 hours. Um, But I would add a proviso that it has to be a registered nurse who actually has some expertise in aged care and really wants to be there. Um, Just putting a registered nurse for the sake of having a registered Mm. nurse is really not good practice. Um, Again, you have the difficulty that one registered nurse for 200 beds, that's... 
a difficulty. But, you know, these are financial considerations. Mm. In Victoria, we have approximately 180 public sector residential aged care services. Mm -hmm. They are all staffed by nurses Mm -hmm. as per um, the agreement with the health services and the union, and interestingly, no COVID deaths in those nursing homes. So there is a good example in the last two years of what registered nurses in aged care can do. And, yeah, you mentioned the cultural shift, and I wonder perhaps in that, yeah, undergraduate courses in university are a perfect time, you know, to address perhaps those ageist views that young people may have and start shifting that. Yeah, as I said, sending first-year nurses for their first clinical placement to a nursing home where they're having to interact with people with dementia, when they have no prior education to that, is really setting them up to say, I don't want to work in this space. Whereas sending them out to work with older people in the community who may have chronic illness but are functioning well they actually can see that this is a really rewarding area to work in. Yeah, the rewarding, Mm. yeah. So uh, we've fortunately shifted the clinical placement at our Mm -hmm. own university Mm -hmm. um, due to our research. So we're very pleased with that. Fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah, Yeah. great to see some um, impact related to research. Um, And is that... Um, planning to be shifted and spread and shared with other universities? Has well, that been... that's, uh, we had, when we did the big Hartford study a few years ago, we had three papers, so there will be lots of discussion mm-hmm. out in the academic community. We're currently mm-hmm. doing, um, we've just finished doing a meta-analysis of interventions to wow. encourage yep. student nurses to work with older people. Um, the first paper is under review. That's with um, the University of Alberta, uh, Queensland uh, QUT and the University of Shanghai. Um, so researchers from there. But, look, it, it's, it, the evidence can be there, but it's very difficult for university, for schools of nursing. Mm. They have budgets. Yes. They have limited staff numbers. Yes. The increasing casualisation of staffing yeah. at universities... Uh, it's it's very difficult, and I'm sure, and also some leadership from the Australian Nursing and Midwifery mm. Accreditation Council mm-hmm. would help. So, if there was more um, co- uh, content mandated around care of older people, that would assist in writing curriculums. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned before. <laughs> I guess about the um, shifting the university's courses and structures and your meta-analysis, which um, sounds very interesting and, I guess, interventions associated with that. What kind of interventions, if you can share a little bit about the findings of that, um, that paper? Well, this was a mixed methods intervention and uh, we, I was looking mainly at the qualitative research sure. with um, uh, Professor Sherry Delkey at the University of Alberta. We found only seven studies that actually were methodologically rigorous to include. Right, yes. Yep. And only one of those studies actually provided any sort of uh, real-world intervention. And that was, mm. as I said, working with the older people in the community actually was shown to change student nurses' attitudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a, a very good research term, qualitative. What, what does qualitative research look like and who was, what was your method in the study? Uh, well, I'm a qualitative researcher, <laughs> so I really like speaking to people um, and talking and hearing about their experiences and I consider that evidence. So people, people's own life stories, they know themselves best. So qualitative research is about hearing from the expert witness, which is the person 
about the particular area that you're researching. Um, so these studies that I was looking for, the um, meta-analysis into nursing interventions to increase willingness to work with older people, um, they were um, interventions that included talking to students or examining their um, diaries or reports on um, working with older people. So um, the group in Queensland and our colleague in Shanghai, they're looking at the uh, more quantitative studies, so studies that use tools to measure, so surveys and Mm -hmm. um, more a numbers type of um, uh, analysis. So, um, and then we'll combine the results. Yeah. Uh, and I'd like to just pick up on a term that you used, older people. So that's much more um, sensitive and respectful than elderly people. Well, I think it's just what you um, uh, get used to. And we always say care of older people mm-hmm. or care of the older person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just how we our terminology that that's, we use at yep. ASABAC, yeah. Yep. It's very respectful. Mm. Um, I've got a question. So you spoke, I imagine... Um, yeah, the data is coming from the experience of, of the nurses. Is there any data from the experience of the patients who received the care? So perhaps those who were involved in the intervention. Um, I guess it would just be fascinating to see if there's a difference between those who yeah, didn't, weren't part of that and those... Yeah. In, that, in those uh, seven studies, sure. the, there was a few studies, I think one or two, um, and the one that actually I just spoke about that had the most promise that could mm-hmm. be used as a model for clinical placement, they did interview the older people. Sure. So they were yep. in community settings. I think it was a Canadian or a US study. And um, oh, there was one also in China, I think. And they spoke to the older people and there was a learning on both sides. So yep. a little bit like how EpiPen was talking before about those shows on the television now you know, young people with older people. So there's always learning that goes on. Um, not only the student nurses learnt more about older people, that they weren't sick and frail and had dementia, but the older people actually learnt about the students and they could actually have more say in their care as yeah. well from those students. So, yep. yep. So, Joe, just you're talking about the... So this was student nurses. Was there also people in the age... Um, Facilities like the, the the nurses that were working in the area. What was the age sort of demographics? Yes, the um, the study that I was just talking about. They were older people, so over seventy five, um, in the community in that particular study. All the other studies that we um, did the meta analysis on, they were all student nurses. Um, the studies mainly came from the US, some from China, one only one from Australia that was eligible. Um, but they were all student nurses in an undergraduate nursing de- doing an undergraduate nursing degree. There were no studies that involved um, the voices of older people in aged care services. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've just thoroughly enjoyed our chat this morning, Dr. Joe, and thank you, Janine, for joining in and Nurse Happy Pen. It's been a, been a pleasure to be in a room full of nurses. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. I have the greatest of pleasures to introduce Janine Roney, who is an extremely accomplished clinical nurse manager. 
she has over 35 years of experience in health in healthcare. And she doesn't look a day over 35 herself. Janine has a Master of Public Health degree from Monash University and a Bachelor of Health Science from Victorian University and, in addition, has multiple qualifications in ethics and research. Janine is the manager of the Clinical Research Unit at the Department of Infectious Diseases at the Alfred and Monash University she has overseen the planning and implementation and management of, wait for it, over 300 clinical trials wow. and research studies with a focus on infectious diseases and infections. It goes without saying that Janine has made significant contributions in the field of infectious diseases research that ultimately translates to better health care of people around the world. Oh, wow. <laughs> Janine, you are a legend in our department and thank you for coming on. Um, Would you just like to step us through how you've got, I think you did the Bachelor of Health Science first and then got into nursing. How have you, what's your segue to nursing? So actually my segue is through the hospital training system. So um, as you say, I've been in the healthcare system for a long time. Um, And so I started uh, at the Epworth Hospital, which is a private hospital in Melbourne and uh, back in the day you could train in the hospital and I suppose a little bit like Joe said you know the good thing about that was you were actually straight away into the system caring for patients and so and you had an amazing support system Um, and also one of the other things was you had to live in the nurse's home and so you developed these wonderful relationships with other nurses which to to this day which I'm sure both of you have you know those sort of you know friendships still and then I moved across to St Vincent's Hospital which is a the public hospital to gain some more experience and consolidate my training after I had qualified and then I stepped into the um, Fairfield Hospital so for people who don't know that was a hospital that was dedicated to uh, the the care of people who had infectious diseases mm. and um, that was you know like an amazing Amazing setting. It was set out in Fairfield. If anyone's been to Fairfield Boathouse, it's sort of near there. Amazing setting. It was, a, and that was just in the late 80s, the beginning of the HIV and AIDS pandemic. Yep. So, um, an incredible time to go in there. I think for me, it was just to demonstrate not just of nurses, but you know, but of also all the healthcare professionals, just the compassion and comparing and acceptability, because again, at that time, it was a very unknown sort of. Uh, illness and lots of people were dying and it was you know quite confronting but I think I've been always very fortunate I've had incredible role models and mentors and those people both in the medical field and the nursing field sort of guided me through that and I ended up in the Vivian Bullwinkle Education (laughs) Centre at Fairfield and that was um, training and educating other healthcare professionals and nurses in infectious diseases. But also um, we worked with this amazing group of um, carers who would go into the home, community carers, volunteers, go into the home of people who were dying of AIDS or um, really, you know, they were all at that time dying of AIDS um, and uh, care for them during that time where a lot of them had were quite isolated and really had lost a lot of family and friends support. So that was just amazing. And so, yeah, so, and then from there at that time, again, as I said, a role model and a mentor encouraged me to go and study more. And so I went and did um, my bridging course into my, that was my Bachelor of um, 
health sciences and then started at MPH. So, yeah, so it was right. And from there I went on to have a family like many people do. And I must say I think for me at that time I realised when I went into more of a sort of academic setting, I realised, wow, look at this diversity of nursing, you know. I, I was lucky, I, you know, I couldn't believe that, you know, you could start off doing a general nurse degree and you could go and work in specialist neonatal care or you could go and do nurse practitionership because that had just started then or you could go and work in community. I was just amazed. And also the flexibility, having a family, I had two beautiful daughters and a wonderful supportive husband and so they supported me during my studies, you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, I just was amazed at you know, the flexibility you could do and the personal personal growth but also the professional growth. And I think, you know, um, you know, young at that time, and I think the newer nurses that are coming out now through the academic process actually do see that. And maybe that's the you know, maybe they can see that's a direction. And as we've sort of strongly mentioned, they probably need a lot more support and financial support, I feel, um, to move forward into those sort of areas. And so and then Finally, after my children, I worked at uh, Royal Melbourne Hospital in their um, Victorian Infectious Diseases Service and um, I met now Professor Jennifer Hoy, but at the time uh, she had moved, because Fairfield had closed in 1996, the HIV services and Professor Hoy had taken her her research unit, was mainly in HIV and AIDS at that time, across to the Alfred and to amalgamate with that group. And uh, she was, you know, I moved across with her and I remember starting thinking, I think I even said to Jenny, oh, I think I'm only going to do six months, you know, I think I'll then go and, you know, go into public health or something. And I must say I'm coming up to 25 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I think as a nurse I was so fortunate to fall into what I loved early on. But, again, saying, you know, there's so many choices. So it doesn't matter if you start off an ER and think, oh, I don't like the pace of this. But then you might then go across and work, you know, in aged care or in, you know, home nursing. And I think that's one of the beauties of it. I might have met you in a previous life then <laughs> because I did that course at Fairfield oh, yeah. Yeah. in 1992. <laughs> Seems a long time. It was oh, a great yeah. course. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, what courses are available for nurses in this field? Is there HIV um, post-grad courses. Um, I've met a nurse recently who did a degree in traumatology. Mm. So the diversity is extraordinary. extraordinary. And people, I think people want formal qualifications, but at the same time, how, mu- how much do we learn from experience mm. and working closely with mm. all allied health and doctors and all sorts of people that you pick up so much. Mm. Um, can you speak to courses in infectious diseases for nurses? Well, there are definitely courses in infectious diseases um, and uh, even uh, there's small courses. Um, the um, ASHAM, which is the Australian Society of HIV Medicine, they actually have courses that nurses can do and from memory, I think they're free. You know, you can go and do a day course. You can then go anywhere from a certificate to like a PhD in nursing itself or in clinical research. There's a lot of clinical research courses, um, you know, in the university setting, but also privately. Some are run privately. Um, NHMRC, which is the National Health Medical Research Council, they actually um, have like a free online, you know, sort of modules, e-modules you can do. And... I suppose I'm very Alfred-centric, so I'm going to put that out. My bias <laughs> is the Alfred. Um, but uh, the Alfred um, actually run in their education um, platform 
electronic you know, modules that you can do, e-learning courses you can do on research and all the different phases and the good uh, clinical research practices that research is based on. Mm. So I do think it's important to note that... Um, as a nurse, if you go and do even just a certificate in your area of research and the higher you go in your qualification, you do get, as part of the award, an additional payment. Um, and um, and that sort of doesn't probably cover the cost, but it does sort of support them a little bit more. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Oh, look, there's so many things I could talk to you both about. I think one thing that you did mention, um, Janine, was having a family. All three of us have had children during our nursing careers and how flexible the workplace can be. But I really want to talk to you about research mm. and the ethics of what happened back in the programs that you were involved with with patients at, say, at Fairfield, to where ethics has grown now. Maybe I'm thinking about consent or the research history. What, what did the research history look like back when you were working at Fairfield House? Yeah, so I probably wasn't involved in a lot of the research. As I said, I was in the education department. But, you know... Um the good clinical research practice sort of guidelines have been set up for years since you know um, the Helsinki Declaration post the you know post the Second World War when we, they looked back and saw the atrocities that mm. occurred in the war to prisoners prisoners of war, and so they you know they they were set up at that time and these principles are based the good clinical research are based on the ethics of a, a study so all research and even back in you know, the days, back in the days, it sounds so old, um, was, uh, you know, they were always reviewed, all research projects are reviewed by a human ethics committee and that's an independent committee that sits of professionals and lay people. And uh, they also look at the study and the um, how the data is collected and, yes, definitely informed consent and is there a unequal balance? Like, mm-hmm. is my doctor who's prescribing my medicine, um, the is that person, the you know, the lead on this ethics and what sort of influence do they have on me if I say no will they not give me the drug or whatever mm. and um, and so there are things put in place very clearly put in place and actually that's where a research nurse is so important because they do the education about informed consent you know what's expected of this participant you know how many hours what's the treatment you know um, I suppose one of the most uh, I suppose uh, fulfilling things for me and uh, I suppose uplifting in a way is participants themselves mm. and you know the fact that they're all, most of them are altruistic you know they're giving their time their blood sample they're you know taking a, you know not knowing whether they're taking a medication or a, a placebo mm. you know so for little to no benefit they're involved and I just I think that's probably one of the um, things that I really uh, enjoy about the work that I do and the gratification you get from it yeah um, Janine, what's been the most outstanding research outcome? So I'm thinking of one viral illness that affects the liver. Oh, the liver. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. So, but, yeah. yes, I agree. Um, so I suppose there's, you know, um, there's three probably things, which I don't know if I've got time, but there's three key things. Back early on in, you know, HIV uh, in 1996, we had this new combination of therapy and everyone was so excited and we all thought it was going to actually cure HIV, which it didn't. It suppressed the virus in the system so people who are living with HIV have a 
you know normal life expectancy mm. you know there were side effects but the drugs have got better over the years so I suppose that was sort of like a, a sort of yay but a oh not so great and now um, then then came uh, directly at acting antivirals against hepatitis C so about you know um, I think it's a 95% cure rate so that to tell somebody that hey you know that virus is gone you know totally mm. gone and your um, progression to cirrhosis and the potential of you getting liver cancer all these are gone you know so that was just the most uh, absolutely amazing study and then there's our recent study obviously in COVID as I said just before I've been through two pandemics in, mm. in my my recent or my nursing career and uh, the recent COVID um, you know pandemic was incredible you know we did a study that looked at a new antiviral that had been used to treat flu in Japan and thought this is early on we're talking 2020 we started this is my incredible research team you know who um are just you know smart intelligent dedicated people mm. who would work on the weekends and again the participants who in do you think you know hey I've got COVID yes I want to do a research study yes I'll have somebody come to my house fully dressed in PPE yeah. and come to my door so all these people know I've got COVID you know um, and but the interesting thing about that study and I always think this is the most important thing is it didn't work you know, when we did the analysis, and this wow. study is yeah. called Verco and it's published, it showed that this drug didn't work. It was the same. The people who had the placebo were the same. But that's the thing about research is the foundation. You know, it's really important that it's ethically and scientifically accurate so the data is accurate and reliable because, as you said before, with that very first beginning when you were talking mm. about that study about Alzheimer's, it's so important because you don't want people to go start taking sleepers <laughs> thinking they're not going to get Alzheimer's. Yes. So that foundation has to be yeah. strong. And, um, you know, and it really is, I go back to the dedicated research team, you know, um, that are making sure that they're documenting that clearly, that they're monitoring that, that, yes, that is accurate. They go and look in the records and make sure that occurred. So, yeah, so as I said, you know, so a negative sometimes is a really positive because it stops other people going down these, ooh, what about this drug? Because they know it doesn't work. Mine's, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, Nurse. I I don't really have a question but a comment, um, which is annoying, but... Um, Gee, I heard you say that that study has been published even though there was no significant finding. And, you know, having a research background myself, that's, I think, exciting and a shift in the right direction in Mm. terms of the research output because often it is only research that has an interesting or significant finding. That finding is interesting and important Mm. um, and I think it's fantastic that it's been published and shared. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, and I, I can say on my own personal perspective, not my stuff, I thought, oh, no, this is going to work. This is yeah, great. We're wow. going to, yeah, yeah. you know, everyone's going to have treatment. But, you know, we were all very excited because, again, we had no vaccine, no other treatments or some other treatments, but varying in uh, their efficacy. And so, yeah, so it was, it was when it came out then, we're like, what? And I think everyone else was, but it was just a a great experience, though. And it was for us as a team, it was just, you know, just, you know, I don't know, amalgamated us. It was great. It was really good. Um, Janine, do you have any nurse led research projects in the unit? Actually, no, not really. We have done a – what we tend to do is, for instance, with this Verco study, we did a qualitative sort of aspect to it where we um, asked people about, you know, their activities, daily living, how they were feeling. So we would take that component and and look at that and do it ourselves, yeah. 
And have you summarised it or analysed it? No, not yet, not no. yet. We've been Good. a bit busy. Yeah. <laughs> just a tad. Just a tad with your 300 clinical yes. trials. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Oh, that's we don't have 300 no, at no, the moment. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't my staff are all you know, thinking, oh, my yeah. God. Oh. <laughs> what hasn't she told us? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about you, Joe? in your research world? What's been one of the most exciting projects you've worked on? I think the tall girl study was probably the most exciting study because it was such a groundbreaking um, and unusual sort of area to work in, led by, again, fantastic researchers, um, Professor Alison Venn from UTAS. Um, but, look, I think really for me now it's, it's working with older people, hearing, uh, talking with older people who have dementia about what their needs are, um, what's missing in their care, what they would like, and with the people that care for them, both the professional carers, the staff, and also their family members. I think mm -hmm. that's very rewarding. And just touching on the ethics of research, it's quite a difficult area to get ethical clearance for a project where mm. you're going to include people with dementia. Yes, yeah. But it's really important that you do because um, even people um, with mild cognitive impairment can give permission to be mm -hmm. and their consent to be mm -hmm. in a study and can offer some really valuable insights yeah. into what their needs are. And when you have dementia, do you have periods of lucidity? Yeah, it depends on the type of dementia, yes. but um, yes, you do, yeah. yeah. And you certainly can um, give consent to participate, um, you know, in a study... Um, and can make your own decisions about everyday things. Mm, so mm. it's not like you lose all capacity, especially with early um, cognitive decline. And I just want to give a big plug for the Advanced Care Directive. Mm. So we should all have one mm. just mm. in case we have an accident in the street mm. or we do get um, mm. dementia mm. and these um, conditions where you can't think clearly. I, I just And also in our research um, we use the... Um, medical uh, power of attorney uh, to, to consent for mm. uh, participants, which is really important, you know, family members or whoever mm. they've nominated. I think that's really important. Yeah, we do the same, Janine, mm. if a person can't give mm. consent. But often people can give mm. their own consent. It's about capacity. Mm. Um, I just can't. I'm a bit blown away and moved mm. by today's show. I am mm. going to get teary. <laughs> and I just think what you two are doing at two spectrums of the health area, mm. you know, aged care and infectious diseases, it's it's an absolute pleasure to be speaking with you this this morning. And um, I think we're we're wrapping up. I think mm. everybody's learnt heaps. And thank you, Dr. Joe and Janine. You're welcome. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Panel Beater. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Therapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine, and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Therapy's Facebook page.